morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Esther chapter 7. We're going to continue our sermon series through the book of Esther and look at uh, chapter 7 this morning. And kids, I was reminded that I was not giving you a word of the day, and so I want to apologize to you. Okay, I'm sorry, kiddos. And I'm going to give you a word of the day starting next week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, The word of the day this week will be justice. So see if you can count the number of times that I say the word justice today. Now, some families give their children a penny for every time that I say it, if they track it. And so I'll see if I can hook you up today, kids. Justice, 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 justice. Let's turn our attention to God's holy, true, and life-giving word, Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace gardens. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? And as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. We praise you that you speak to us even today through your word and spirit. And most of all, in the person and work of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so would you help us to fix our eyes on him today? Would you help us to see how this passage teaches us things about you and about him? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to things that we need to see and that you would apply, have us apply in our lives? 
And would you use this time to shape us and transform us by grace so that we might understand your love more deeply and be more equipped and excited to continue our mission to make disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you hear a a testimony like Sam shared with us bravely this morning. Thank you, Sam. Um, And it's hard. It's it's hard to realize that this really happens. I think sometimes uh, it can be sort of not real for us since we don't see so much persecution here in our country. But it is real. And it, if you're like, me, and I'm sure that you are, when you, when you hear about that, there's this anger even that that happens. There's a, a frustration that you may not know what to do with. There's perhaps a, cry, a crying out, why is there not justice for such terrible things? And, you know, there's, we could talk about that for a long time. We could also talk about the ways just in 2020 alone, our country has been crying out for justice for so many different things. It's so interesting that even as fallen human beings, we really long for justice. We struggle deeply when we don't see justice taking place, when we don't see justice served. And a big part of that is because we're made in the image of God. And God cares deeply about justice, which we see all through the scriptures and we'll see today. And um, you know, justice is when people get what they deserve for the wrongs that they have done. That's justice. And one of the things that God reveals to us in the book of Esther and in this passage is that he is committed to justice. And you remember, we've been talking a lot about the providence of God all through this series, his sovereign governing of all things. And this morning we get to see a connection between the providence of God and the justice of God. And that's our focus for this morning, which, depending on how you look at it, is, could be simultaneously terrifying, but also incredibly uh, encouraging and comforting as well. Here's our focus for this morning, that because of God's providence, we can be assured the destiny of all human evil is divine justice. Because of God's providence, we can be assured the destiny of all human evil is divine justice. And I want to talk about this by thinking about three things we see in this passage. One, I want to talk about the domino effect, just seeing the way uh, things happen all in order for Haman's destruction here this morning in this passage. Then we'll talk about the deceptiveness of evil. Oh, so important. The deceptiveness of evil. We'll see that in this passage. And then third, the, the deal with identity. Okay, we're going to see Esther and, and her choice to identify in a certain way that is going to be very, very important here. Okay? So we're thinking about the providence of God and justice. First, let's talk about the domino effect. Uh, find verse 10. I'm going to go there in just a second. The domino effect. Let, first point is this. In God's providence, his enemies create their own path to destruction. Okay, one of the things we see in this passage is this. That in God's providence, his enemies create their own path to destruction, their destruction. Or another way to say that would be that in God's providence, God's enemies create their own path to justice. 
to facing the justice of God. So think about this. Here in this amazing scene in the book of Esther, we see now all of Haman's evil doings and evil plotting coming back down on him and crashing down on him. Think about how we've seen in this book how Haman's pride caused him to hate Mordecai and that hatred caused him to uh, put together this annihilation edict for the Jews. And that wasn't enough, so he also planned to kill Mordecai by building this gallows for him. And little did he know, little did Haman know, is what we're seeing here in this passage, that all the while God was at work behind the scenes providentially ensuring that Haman would actually face justice, that he would get what he deserved for all his evil against the people of God. It's almost as if Haman was setting up a line of evil dominoes, and now God pushes them all over, and it all comes crashing down onto Haman himself. And what you see then here is that God not only providentially ensures the deliverance of his people, but also justice for his enemies. The same providence, sovereign governing of all things that ensures deliverance for God's people ensures justice for God's enemies. Look at verse 10. Here's justice. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. One author says Haman's death illustrates that the divinely appointed path to destruction is a path that proceeds step by step from the will of the wicked person. Okay? In other words, uh, as people live in rebellion against God, they are actively, though most often blindly, creating the very list of violations of God's law for which they will eventually face justice. In other words, Haman did this to himself. Um, now, to be sure, God doesn't always bring about justice immediately like he does in the story of Esther here. Sometimes there is a delay. But the bottom line is, one of the things that God teaches us in his word is that nobody's going to get away with anything. There will always be justice. The destiny of human evil is divine justice. Because God is righteous. And when he responds to sin and evil, he responds with justice. That's what he does. Now, um, think about it like this. So in 1988 was the first time that I really paid attention to the Olympics. And some of you might remember that there was a scandal in the 1988 Olympics uh, because in the 100-meter sprint, what happened is all the, all the runners lined up and the guy says, the guy at the starting point says, on your marks, get set, and everybody's ready, and then bang, the gun goes off, and they, they take off. And one runner in particular uh, just exploded out of the, the starting blocks, and he was just, just blew everybody away. In fact, the announcers were, were saying, did you see that start? And then they realized it was the runner from Canada, and they start saying, ladies and gentlemen, it's Ben Johnson, it's Ben Johnson, it's Ben Johnson. And everybody watches as... Uh, Johnson not only wins the race, but sets a new record, a new world record. And after the race, he was interviewed, and he said his only regret was that he raised his hand as he ran across the finish line. He thought that might have cost him a fraction of a second. And so he won the race. They gave him the gold medal. And then just a few days later, they took it away. 
Because as you may remember, a blood test revealed that Ben Johnson had used steroids. He had cheated. And so they disqualified him. And they stripped him of his medal. Now, if you think about it, the rules committee of the Olympics didn't do something arbitrary to him. They brought about justice. It's simple as that. He had done that to himself. His choices had led to those results. And really, that's what we're seeing here with Haman as well. And that's what we need to understand about human evil. When, when the enemies of God engage in evil, they are creating the very, their own path to destruction. And it takes place in God's providence, but it is their fault. Calvin, John Calvin says, man falls according as God's providence ordains but he falls by his own fault. So it's all happening under God's providence, but it is the fault of the evil person. Now, faith is you and I who believe in Christ is believing that when God dispenses justice for the sins of his enemies in this life and in the next, that he's 100% righteous to do so. Just like that rules committee was right to take away that medal. And, you know, sometimes we get really up in arms and frustrated and worried about that word wrath, about God's wrath. But you have to understand the wrath of God is simply God's dispensing of justice, what the wicked have brought upon themselves. So for the non-believer to realize that God ensures justice, this is a very stern warning and a very great plea to turn to the Lord for mercy. You do not want to face the justice of God. And for the believer, uh, it is a powerful antidote to the anxiety that we experience when we don't see justice taking place yet. You know, the more we get filled with outrage because we don't see justice taking place, the less we can actually do anything productive about it. Because in our anger, we're going to overreact or we're going to get sinful in our response just think for one example think about there's been so much discussion about racism and if if we are certain that God is providentially going to ensure justice that allows us to be delivered from that wrath and anger that can take over. If we believe we're the ones who have to solve it, if we believe it's up to us, then we're going to be frantic and we're not going to be able to really make any type of difference. Believing that no matter what we do, God ultimately is sovereign and, and will ensure justice allows us to take a breath. It allows us to think with a cool head and in a collected fashion, just like Esther. Think about her calm, cool-headed, uh, wise actions here in this book and, and throughout this book. As Esther sees injustice headed for her people, she's not panicked, she's poised. She knows she has a God of justice. So as we, as a church, should be thinking about how we participate in addressing racism in our country, in our world, one of the things we have to keep in mind is that God is sovereign. God will ensure justice. God is the one who ultimately solves this issue. So we can 
remain calm and look to the Bible and let his word lead us and guide us. And we can move at a pace that allows us to make really good, biblical, wise decisions that will actually lead to the good of those in our community and around the world. So let's let God deliver us from that outrage and be able to stay calm. And let's also realize the deceptiveness of evil. Uh, Look at verse 6. We're going to go there in just a moment. Let's talk about the deceptiveness of evil. This is really huge. Um, Second thing this morning. In God's providence, examples like Haman reveal human evil is self-deceptive. This is one of the things that we see as we look at the story of Haman here. Just how deceptive sin is and evil is. Karen Jobes, who you know I think wrote a great commentary on this book, she says this. Haman's example shows that human evil allows evildoers to believe themselves justified in their evil actions and clever enough not to get caught in their own web. And so if you think about it, Haman did not, there's no indication Haman saw anything wrong with what he's doing here, attempting to murder Mordecai, attempting uh, to bring about the annihilation of a people. He doesn't think he's doing anything wrong here. He is totally deceived. And he also assumes his wealth, his power, his prestige, and his position are going to protect him. In other words, he has no idea what's coming. This downfall of his is comes completely out of the blue for him because he was so blind. Job's also sa- er, Karen Jobs also says this, Evil is also self-deceptive because while it appears to provide well-being and safety, it feeds off impulses that blind us to the truth. And this is really quite amazing if you think about all that we've been shown about Haman so far uh, in this book. So think about in chapter 6, we saw how Haman thought he was describing how he would like to be honored. He was so blind to the fact that he was actually describing how Mordecai was going to be honored. He also, in chapter 5, we saw how he built this gallows thinking he's going to be able to kill Mordecai on this. He was just completely blind to the fact that in God's providence, he was building his own gallows. Totally self-deceived. He bragged. I love this one. In chapter 5, if you remember, he brags about how Esther wants just the king and him to come to these banquets. Totally blind to the fact that it would be at this very banquet that he would be exposed and then hanged. That's why look at verse 6. It says, And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. It's because in this moment, why is he terrified? Because this is the first moment that he realizes the predicament that he's in. This is the first moment that he realizes all these things that he's done are now going to come crashing down on him because the whole time he's been totally deceived. Human evil is so deceptive. And it causes us to think we're doing something that's right even when it's totally against God's law. And it causes us often to think we're doing something that will lead to our own good, but it's actually leading to our destruction because we're blind to it. You know, And this is, this is part of the human condition that we have to understand. This is <laughs> a huge part of why we need a Savior. We will actually do things. We will engage in sin and evil thinking it will help us when it will actually lead to our harm. And it's because of our warped sense of morality. Do you know there are criminals who have a moral code? 
In fact, uh, one author writes about this robber, this armed robber, who in 1992 was arrested in Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, when they arrested this armed robber, they found on his person a list of, of his moral choices about his thievery. You want to hear them? He had eight things. Number one, he said, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Number two, he said, I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. Number three, I will only rob at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. Number five, I will not rob mini marts or 7-Eleven stores. Number six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased by vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. Number seven, I will rob only seven months out of the year. I mean, you need a break. Eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. Now, hold on a second before you judge this guy. Because he's just like me. And he's just like you. In his sin, he is totally deceived that it's okay to rob people as long as you stick to these certain codes. And on our own, that's us. That's me. Because of what the author of Hebrews calls the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3 313 says, but exhort one another every day. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This, by the way, brothers and sisters, is why we need to be a congregation that welcomes accountability from one another. We want to be in community groups with one another where we allow each other to point out the things that we have been blinded to by our sin. If I think that I don't need your help in identifying where sin is deceiving me, then I'm totally deceived. If you think you don't need Christians who love you and love God to call you out, to hold you accountable, then you're going to continue being blind and hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You cannot see what your sin is hiding from you. But others can. I cannot see what my sin hides from me, but others can. And so the author of Hebrews tells us what we want to do then. We want to exhort one another. We need to be willing and loving enough to uh, call each other to account and to say, I think you're being blinded by your sin, and here's where I think you might need to go. What a crazy idea that we might need each other. The thing is, the blindness of Haman here is a warning to all of us about the blindness uh, that we have by our sin. Sin blinds us. It blinds me. It blinds you. And we need the word of God, and we need God's people to help us break out of that. Uh, Paul Tripp just wrote an amazing book on leadership, and in it he says this, You cannot grieve what you do not see. Us break out. Seeing if I could identify who that was real quick. <laughs> Listen to this. You cannot grieve what you do not see. You cannot confess what you haven't grieved. And you cannot repent 
of what you haven't confessed. See, we believe in gospel transformation. We want our lives to be changing here. We're going to talk about how God dealt with our justice, the justice we deserve, in just a second. But what we can learn here as Christians who are not enemies with God, what we can learn is that this, the deceitfulness of sin is so bad that we need others to help us see. If we want, if we want lives to change, if your life is not changing, it's probably because you're not seeing what your sin is hiding from you, and you need one another. We need one another. You can't grieve what you don't see. You cannot confess what you don't grieve, and you won't repent of what you haven't confessed. So we need to be believing that one of the reasons God reveals the deceitfulness of sin and evil to us as his people is so that we allow others to help open our eyes so that we're not living deceived by our own sin. I don't want to. I know you don't want to. Let's work together. Third, Okay, uh, let's talk about the deal with identity. The deal with identity. Look at verses 3 and 4, and here's a third thing for this morning. In God's providence, we see here that life and death are determined by identification with a people. Okay, we have to ask that question, and I mentioned it just a moment ago. What about our justice? And we, most of us know the answer. What happened to our justice? I mean, everybody's a sinner. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so everybody deserves justice. What happened to our justice as Christians? We know that. Many of us know that, but here's a beautiful display of it in the book of Esther. And what we see is that in God's providence, life and death, Mercy and justice, if you will, are determined by identification with a people. So in this passage, if you didn't notice, two different people beg for their lives. Haman begs for his life, and so does Esther. Haman begs for his life because he's trapped in his evil. Esther begs for her life in order to save her people. Look at verse 3. And four, then Queen Esther answered. This is the third time Ahasuerus has said, what do you want, Esther? What do you want? And now she tells him, I, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be Annihilated. Now, this what's, what's so amazing about this, this is the first time in the book where Esther publicly identifies herself with her people. She has kept her Jewish identity hidden all this time, and now she's going to point it out. She identifies herself with the Jews. Why does this matter so much? Because in order to save her people, she's willingly identifying with them, and in so doing, she's identifying herself with the people who have been sentenced to death. She's saying, these people that are irrevocably sentenced to death, I'm one of them. So in order to save her people, she willingly identifies with them, and in so doing, she identified with the people who have been sentenced to death. The law that the king enacted is for the destruction of her people, but Esther identifies with them and places herself under the very same sentence, and in so doing, that's how she secures their redemption, by identifying with her people and placing herself under the exact death sentence which they were under. That's how she ends up redeeming her people, saving her people. That's why David Strain says about this moment here, he says, Esther has pointed us like a flashing neon arrow away from herself to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because this is at the very heart of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel is that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, looks upon us sinners who deserve justice. We deserve wrath for all of our rebellion and all of our sin and all of our evil. We are under a death sentence. Yet the Son of God chooses to come and identify with us, to unite himself to us, to intertwine his fate with ours, as it were. But there's a difference, see. Esther was able to identify with a people under a death sentence and stay alive and yet lead to their redemption. The true and better Esther, the Lord Jesus, came and identified with you and me, sinners. But he didn't live through it, didn't he? He went to the cross and he died and he paid for our sins. He identified with sinners and then he took that punishment that we deserve. That's the gospel. So that through faith, you and I who deserve justice, as much every time you see a lack of justice in the world and you're like, I want justice, you should realize that should come to you. That very kind of justice that you and I want, we actually deserve that for our, our sins. But no. The king of kings comes to identify with us, bring himself under the same death sentence that we're under, so that through his death, he could then therefore take the justice that we deserve so that we would get mercy through faith alone, in Christ alone, praise God. So years ago, there was an eight-year-old girl in Kenya, and her name was Monica. And she slipped and fell into a pit, and she broke her leg. And it's a true story. And there was a woman walking by named Mama Najeri, and she happened to pass by where Monica was laying helpless in this pit with a broken leg. Now, to make matters worse, uh, there was a big old black mamba, which the people who went, ooh, they know that black mamba is one of the most deadliest venomous snakes on the planet. There was a big old black mamba in the, in the pit with Monica. But nonetheless, Mama Najeri climbs down to help little Monica. Now, in the process, the black mamba strikes Mama Najeri. And then it strikes Monica. They both get bit. And Mama Najeri is able to help get Monica up out of the pit and able to get her to some people nearby who were able to take Monica to the hospital where she was treated. But Mama Najeri ended up dying from the snake bite. And the reason we know this story is there was a missionary working among these people. And uh, this missionary found, knew both of these people. So she went to talk to Monica in the morning to tell her that Mama Najeri had actually died. And Monica was very upset by that, as you might imagine. And her first big question was, we both got bitten by the snake. Why did she die? And I didn't. And the missionary explained to Monica that when the snake bit Mama Najeri, all of the venom went into Mama Najeri. So when the snake bit Monica, nothing did. And then she, you know what she said? She said, you know what? That actually teaches us about what Jesus has done for us. Because what Mama Najeri did is she put herself into the same predicament as Monica, didn't she? 
under the same threat. And that threat came down full force onto Mama Najeri until it didn't come down onto Monica. And that's what Christ has done, friends. That's what Christ has done for us. He has come to us in our need, and he has taken the death sentence that we deserve. And because he has taken it, we don't die. We live. And yet God is completely just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. I mean, that's amazing. And that's news that we want to be sharing to everyone in this community. That's why we've been talking so much about proclamation this fall. We are a people who know that God is a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. And for all who call out to him and look to him for forgiveness through faith in Christ, they don't get justice because Christ took it for them. They get mercy. They get forgiveness. They're declared righteous. All as a gift by grace through faith. That's the God that we serve. That's the God we need to tell people about. As we not only proclaim the good news, but also care deeply about justice. Our God cares about justice. So let's keep our eyes fixed on him who took our justice and now calls us to care about justice in a world that needs it so desperately. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you would send your son and that he would identify with us, that he would be identified with us, that he would be counted among the sinners, that he would place himself under our death sentence so that it would hit him and not us. Would you fill our hearts with joy over what Christ has done for us so much that it drives us to care about justice as well as to tell our neighbors and the nations about our gracious God, our merciful God, Do so for your glory and our own joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.